another exciting episode of Grab Them By The Pod. As always, your hosts, Kevin and Jesse, and we're going to talk to you tonight about some more coming out of Washington, D.C. Jesse, what do you got for us? It was not a good week to be President Trump. Uh, for a guy who always wins, there was a lot of losing going on this week. And the biggest thing, obviously, is just the failure of the American Health Care Act. Um, this is one of the things that he touted, I think, from the beginning of his campaign. I'm going to go in there and I'm immediately going to get rid of Obamacare and put my stuff in. It's going to be great. Everybody's going to be covered. But that wasn't the case, was it? No, not at all. And, you know, isn't that always the way? Campaigning is so much easier than actually governing. You can say all kinds of things. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And people love to hear it, right? Play to what the people want. But the reality is it's not so easy to do. In practice, governing is a lot harder. So Donald Trump not able to get one of his marquee campaign promises off uh, the bat in his first 100 days. You know, one of the things we learn in life, not just if you're president, just everyday life, is that making promises is easy. Keeping those promises is a little more difficult. It takes a little work on, on your part. And Trump really didn't do much work. He had a bunch of these these rallies that he's been having. And I think in kind of like the hour he was there, he would talk maybe five or six minutes about health care. Now, if you look back at what President Obama did around the ACA, that was all he talked about. I mean, he wouldn't shut up about it. And uh, that was Trump's biggest failure. He didn't champion it like he should have. Right. Major legislation takes that. You, you have to talk it up. You have to get the support. You have to be the lobbyist in chief. And Donald Trump did not do that for the American Health Care Act, his his plan. And so it did not pass, as was all over the news this past weekend. It was it was really ugly. So it was supposed to go down on Thursday. Everybody was ready for it. And then it got delayed because they just didn't have the votes. Uh, the problem is the Freedom Caucus uh, they're a little more conservative than you have the moderates. They're obviously a little more moderate, and they both have their problems with the bill. And to uh, make one happy, you're pissing off the other one. And they eventually changed the bill uh, to appease the Freedom Caucus. But guess what? That gave us a CBO score that was worse than one before. 24 million people still without health care, and it cost more money. And then they were going to get rid of essential coverage, essential health care coverage, like prescriptions, lab tests, maternity care. The thing, I mean, I know they don't want us to think that we just deserve all this stuff, but that's crap we need. And that was not going to fly. I mean, that was just going to piss off the people more. The more concerning thing, if we look at just some of the numbers, the Republicans have 230 seats in the House, and so they can't afford to get too many no's, especially from their own party. And what is concerning here is that the 29 members of the Freedom Caucus were able to kind of uphold the process here. And lots was made about this during the Obama administration, the obstructionist policies of the Republicans in power in Congress. But here we are with a Republican Congress and from within their own party uh, and Republican president, they are still upholding the process of governing. 29 members are able to kind of hold Congress hostage to not passing this bill. I must be honest, this is the reason why John Boehner got the hell out of Washington, D.C., is that he has this fractured caucus. And if you make one side happy, you're pissing off somebody else, you're between a rock and a hard place constantly, and it's it's just not worth, I mean, you know, say what you will about about Paul Ryan, you know, and he's kind of become Trump's lackey. But, man, get, he didn't want to be the uh, Speaker of the House to begin with, and I, this is probably why. So the the bill was pushed, the vote for the bill was pushed to Friday, 
And Trump basically told Ryan that I don't care whether we have the votes or not. We're voting on it tomorrow on Friday. And then he tried to kind of neg the Freedom Caucus, kind of talk, you know, I can't believe they're going to help get some of this Planned Parenthood stuff go through, blah, blah, blah. Um, it was ridiculous. And around 3.30 on Friday, though, Trump backed down. Ryan pulled the the bill. And to me, it just seemed like a giant a giant hit to Trump's ego. I mean, he's the closer. He's the guy who gets stuff done. All he does is win. And all this showed us is that he, he can bark, but he can't back up those barks with an actual bite. Correct. You know, as Paul Ryan said on Friday, Obamacare is the law of the land for the foreseeable future. And Donald Trump was not able to get one of his key campaign promises done, at least to this point. Paul Ryan, to his credit, I will give him this, that he admitted in the press conference that governing is more difficult than being the party of opposition. You know, he's had the last 10 years of opposing everything. And now when you have the position to actually make legislation, that's a lot harder to do. It's a lot more difficult to get the votes and pass laws. Yeah, it it pretty much sucks. Um, And I had to laugh after it was all said and done. uh, Trump, he basically blamed the Democrats for not getting this. And I was actually watching C-SPAN trying to call in, and I just couldn't get through. There must have been too many people calling. And the amount of people who were calling and saying they were upset with the Democrats uh, for not having this pass, it blew my mind. The Republicans have the majority. If the Republicans wanted this to pass, there's nothing the Democrats could do to stop it. But yet they all want to blame the Democrats on this. Um... And then here, here's the kicker. He basically, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, we're, we're going to just let it go. Let, as he would say, Obamacare fail. And that really brings you to two different, uh, different points of view. Either he's full of BS or he actually believes that, but he's willing to screw over the American people just to prove a point to say that it was horrible. And, you know, if you're the president, you don't have time for this partisan nonsense. If, if you legitimately think that Obamacare is going to fail, which the CBO says otherwise, then you would do something to, to fix that no matter how many times it takes because the, peop- the lives of these people in this country depend on you. And I beg to differ with the idea that, you know, let's blame the Democrats here in this case. I, I would rewind it back to the obstructionist Republicans in 2010 when the Affordable Care Act was passed. The Republicans in Congress at that time, you know, made it clear. We remember Mitch McConnell saying that we're going to do our best to make Barack Obama, a one-term president, and they failed in that, but they did go out of their way to obstruct any progress, and so they held up some of the critical elements of the Affordable Care Act that didn't end up in the final law that we now see as problems. So if we're really going to place blame, I would take it back then. And we've said it before, and we'll say it again, that the ACA is far from perfect. It is a flawed law, but you know, but it's doing good things. And the idea that you want to fix a flawed law by passing a worse law is ridiculous. You don't repeal and replace. We've said the time and again, you reform. You look at what's not working and you and you fix it. You see what uh, does work and you keep it in place. Uh, and all this is really backfired. If you look at Trump's uh, most recent approval ratings, he's actually more unpopular now than President Obama ever was in his eight years, and he's been in well, not even three months now. It's it's not a good sign for things to come, and we know he loves to be loved. And uh, just what will he do to get who he thinks should love him to love him? The previous three presidents had approval ratings at this point in their presidency inside the first 100 days of over 50% approval. Donald Trump, as of right now, only has 36%. So two-thirds of this country disapprove of the job he's doing. And as you just said, Jess, he does not take kindly to criticism.
And you know, we're still over a year and a half away from midterm elections, but you have to think how many more of these type of situations is it going to take for the at least the House uh, Dem- uh, House Republicans to really start to worry? Uh, the the Senate, just by the sheer uh, group of states that are up, the Republicans are pretty much safe there. But the House people, they got to be shaking in their booties that if they keep getting if they keep doing things that piss off their constituents or the president does at least, they may be in big trouble come 2018. If the Democrats play their cards right in this situation and they they keep this in the media, they keep this in the forefront, then it's certainly something that's going to benefit them uh, during the campaign for 2018. And while this was all going on, uh, Time magazine also released – they released an article, but I was less interested in the article and more with just the – the raw transcript that they sent out. I, I sent this to you and to another one of our friends as soon as I read it. I, I could not believe uh, what I was reading. It was like the ramblings of a madman. And I can't really figure out why Trump would agree to do this because the whole point of the article was that it was about truths and falsehoods. And we all know that there's not much truth in what Trump says. Did you finally get a chance to uh, to read this? I, I took a look at some of it. I also read through the article itself in Time magazine, and you know I was kind of astonished by it as well. I can completely understand why Trump does it. He he does not think anything wrong about himself. Uh, he he lives in his bubble, and can't imagine why people would think critically of him in this situation. But you know, to me, Donald Trump, and I used to think this about. President George W. Bush, that he was kind of your average Joe, someone you'd want to meet up for a drink and and ham it up in a bar. But, you know, I think you mix a little bit of crazy in with that. And that's what you get with Donald Trump. You know, he's that that person looking to entertain, to tell a good story, to tell people what they want to hear, the rah-rah kind of stuff. But that's not what I want my president. No, no. I want someone – you need a president that will tell you the hard truths even when you don't want to hear it. Um, His speech pattern in this article – it was just manic. I, I don't I don't want to just be negative for negative sake. I've said this before, but I swear if you read this and he wasn't the president, you'd be like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Um, he can't admit to his mistakes. We know this, but he just reinforces it here. He's still sticking by the fact that Muslims in New Jersey were celebrating on 9-11, even though there's no real proof of that anywhere. Um, I mean, to me, this is the craziest one. Um, during the campaign, he basically insinuated that Ted Cruz's father was involved in the Kennedy assassination with Lee Harvey Oswald. And when called on that, he goes, ah, I didn't come up with that. I read it in a newspaper. Why should I apologize for saying what I read in the newspaper? That, that's dangerous that you just – what if he's reading the National Enquirer? When it's I, a tabloid. Yeah. He, Hillary was abducted by aliens. I read it in a newspaper. What do you want me to tell you? I mean it, it goes on and on with the wiretapping not meaning wiretapping. Um, they brought up the whole Sweden thing where he said, you see what happened in Sweden last night? And he points out, yeah. And the next day there was something happening in Sweden. And the, the reporter goes, yeah. But you referenced the day before, not the day after. And he just blows it off like it's nothing. It's he just I, I put it on Twitter. He just lies and lies and lies. It, it's sad. <laughs> the concerning thing here is that Trump, with all of his falsehoods and the fake information that he passes along, you know, his his tweets, his fake tweets are retweeted an average of twenty eight thousand five hundred and fifty times, whereas his Tweets that are not clearly false or perhaps are somewhat truthful are only retweeted 23,945 times. So there, there's a, a discrepancy there of you know 4,000 or so uh, retweets to the advantage of the, the falsehoods being retweeted. That, that scares me. That concerns me that there's enough people in this country that believe in or buy into the information that he says that has no factual basis. 
Well, it kind of goes back to what they used to say in advertising, like sex sells. And I guess in this case, it's like sexy sell. You know, the the fun – I'll be honest. I don't reply on Twitter to his boring tweets. When he's like, oh, you know, it was great meeting with the truckers today. I'm like, okay, that's great, whatever. But when he starts saying something that's insane, I don't retweet it, but I definitely respond to it. So I can understand why people uh, may want to retweet it. But, God, it's, it's the people who respond to those retweets who are like, yeah, it's great that you say these insane things. That's what's scary – I always used to say that there was nothing scarier than reading the comment section of a Yahoo article and then just the insane mean people in there. And I think I'm starting to move towards the, the people who retweet some of these things. Do they actually believe what they're saying or are they just saying it because they got nothing else better to do and they think it's funny? We can only hope that they're trying to be funny. But the danger in this is that it's the diversionary politicking that's going on here when you're trying to create a smokescreen so that – other bigger issues actually can pass through without any attention. You know, according to Bill Adair from PolitiFact, PolitiFact being the Pulitzer Prize-winning fact-checking website, uh, said this past week that these falsehoods are like neutron bombs that just take over the discussion and obliterate a lot of other things we should be discussing. Right? This this is smoke screening, and it's a danger to our actual democracy. You know, just to to quote our own Senator Chris Murphy, who we've mentioned uh, uh, several times on the show here, you know, he's been talking this week about how while all these uh, big falsehood issues are, are coming up with Trump, that he's getting us into a war. He's increasing troop involvement in Syria and no one's paying attention because we're still worried about wiretapping uh, tweets that have gone out from Donald Trump. You know, I'm worried that we may be quote-unquote wiretapped because as we're talking about this, the commander-in-chief just sent out another tweet. Um, it says, why isn't the House Intelligence Committee looking into Bill and Hillary's deal and allowed big uranium to go to Russia, Russian speech? Dot. He's saying you know, there's an ellipsis at the end of this, which means he has more to say, but yet he takes like 10 minutes between tweets. Like, Wouldn't you think you'd have this whole thing written out? But you know, why are you talking about Bill and Hillary? You won the election. It's been three months. Shut up. Election's oh. over, man. I mean, we have a lot to say about the Intelligence Committee, and we'll go into that in a few, but it's it, it's ridiculous. It, back, to this, um, uh, back to this Time article, the thing that I found just – Actually, I actually laughed out loud when I was reading this is Trump was saying, you know, I think I have the most covers on Time Magazine than any other person. The guy's like, well, I think Nixon has you beat. He goes, oh, I'll overtake him soon. And I just laughed. Does he wonder why Nixon was on the cover of Time so many times? Not for positive things. And is it foreshadowing, you know, that he's going to overtake him for similar reasons? Trump, clearly not a student of history, that's for sure. No, no. I mean, he also... This was going on just as Devin Nunez was going out to give his little speech we're going to talk about in a sec. And Trump didn't even know what he was saying, but he knew that, you know what, this vindicates me. I, I said there was wiretapping, and Nunez is talking about it right now. I don't know what he's saying, but again, you don't, you're the president, and you're saying on the record that you feel something about something you know nothing about. It's, it's, it's scary. Well, how might he know that it vindicates him? Perhaps he was briefed before the rest of us were. Uh, there's a very good uh, chance of that. Uh, you know, Devin Nunez, he's the chairman of the House Select uh, Committee on Intelligence. Uh, he was also, by the way, an advisor on the uh, Trump transition team, which when you have somebody who's supposed to be uh, looking into the intelligence community and uh, that, that problem stems to the White House, you want somebody who's been buddy-buddy with the White House? I don't think so. Um, 
and by the way, I've said this before. Uh, back in 2005, the first job I ever interviewed for in Washington, D.C. was to be his staff assistant. And I didn't know anything about him at the time because, you know, Wikipedia didn't really exist. But I'm glad I didn't get that job because we don't agree on a lot of things. And uh, it may have been an awkward uh, an awkward first job. Yeah, probably would have, uh, especially in light of all these things that have come out now, you don't want that on your resume. Mm-mm, no, no, no. Uh, so this committee, is, is a church. They're, they're looking into what's going on with the executive branch right now. And uh, it should be independent from them, not talking, not just showing up to the White House willy-nilly. Wednesday, uh, Nunez held a press conference announcing that U.S. spy agencies had incidentally collected information on the U.S. citizens involved in the Trump campaign. So basically he's saying we were looking at person A and then person B from the Trump campaign was caught on these calls. Um, he didn't bother telling his committee or the ranking member, or anybody before he went to the press. And that just seems like bad form at the, at the best, I think. No, the whole thing is just too close for comfort. And, you know, Baron de Montesquieu, who famously invented the, the theory of a separation of powers, which is exactly what we instituted in our system of government, it needs to exist for this reason. You cannot have people investigating themselves. The truth does not come clean in these situations. I like that guy's name. What was his name? Baron de Montesquieu. De Montesquieu. Man, oh, man. Baron Trump, Baron de Montesquieu. I think there's like uh, conspiracy theory. Ah. Iraq, Al-Qaeda, there's a yeah. Q. They're all, ah. they're all connected. So, so after he gave the speech, he then ended up at the White House to brief the president on this. What the, what the hell? And the next day, the press asked Sean Spicer, how did he end up at the White House? And Spicer was like, I don't know how he got there, a car? Ha, 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 funny, funny. But it's not funny. Again, he's possibly looking into the president and and his ties to Russia, all this stuff. And he's there at the White House without his ranking member saying God knows what. It's, it's, it's not good. Not at all. Certainly not. And, you know, maybe Donald Trump just had it all wrong. You know, he misheard. He mistook one of the Fox News broadcasts that he was watching that, you know, as it turns out, the FBI did have a court-ordered warrant to wiretap a Russian gambling ring that was operating out of Trump Tower between 2011 and 2013. And, you know, it ended up with 30 people being indicted in that. No, 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 no. Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> Here's the crazy thing that came out today that it turns out Devin Nunez was actually on the White House grounds the day before all this stuff went down when no one knew where the hell he was. Uh, he says, you know, I didn't go in the White House. He was like in the executive office building, something like that. But still. It does not look good. Uh, they said that he had to go there to uh, you know, read some information that he couldn't read anybody else. But again, no one else is seeing this. It's you got to have some openness when you're doing this kind of stuff, especially when people are freaking out just the way they have been in recent times. And he claims that, right, he needed to have a secure location to mm -hmm. view some of this material. But, you know, as the chair of the Intelligence Committee, he has a secure location already at the Capitol. They review uh, confidential and classified documents there all the time. So why go to the White House? It all seems a little suspicious to me. And again, you know, with the secrecy, it, it needs to move past the secrecy. You need an open and transparent government, one that is governed for the people and by the people. I mean, I know he voted against your guy or, or ran against your guy back in 2008, but John McCain, you've got to agree with him now. He says Congress basically no longer has the credibility uh, to handle this you know, investigation. They have to have someone independent come in because basically he looked at what Devin Nunez did. This, that's crap. We can't do this. It's, it, we're a joke.
Well, at least I can rest a little easier at night knowing that there is somebody with a sense of reason and a level head within our Congress, even if he's from the opposite party uh, than myself. (laughs) That's exactly what we need. We need people from within the Republican Party to question Donald Trump. Well, someone asked me today if I had ever run into Lindsey Graham when I worked in the Senate. And I told him that I've never dealt with anybody from his office even. And he does a lot of things that I don't agree with now. But God, it's funny how politics makes strange bedfellows. And maybe it's like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. But he's been one of the people who, as much as anybody has gone against Trump from the Republicans, he and McCain have been two of the guys who have at least not gone gone along with everything he said. So at least for a little bit, I am kind of in Lindsey Graham's corner, I guess. For a little bit. <laughs> He's one of my favorite Republicans right now, too, that's for sure. Uh, and did you see that Nunez even canceled an open hearing he's supposed to have with NSA Director Mike Rogers, who, by the way, I think looks looks like Kurt Schilling a little bit, and uh, FBI Director James Comey, and they've scheduled a uh, closed-door session. And again, this is pissing off ranking member Schiff. It's like you're getting rid of this transparency that everybody wants to know what the hell's going on, and he just keeps acting shadier and shadier. Nunez is in over his head, and uh, I think he's going to be drowning pretty soon, uh, metaphorically speaking, of course. It's all straight out of a dystopian novel. This is Orwellian. Mm, you know, we laugh at that kind of thing in the past, but it's it's getting closer and closer. Oh, boy. Um, so Schumer, you know, not necessarily my favorite Democrat for personal reasons. I've, I've <laughs> You've made problems. that clear. That's true. Yes, I've said this before. I don't mean to repeat my stories. We we kind of had some issues when I was working in the Senate, but that aside, um, I've, you know, I, again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and he's been one of the chief people against Trump. So, you know, he's okay in my book for the moment. Um, he announced this week that they were going to be uh, filibustering uh, the Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch, um, assume the Democrats – uh, can do this because the Senate is a minoritarian chamber. One person can really hold up everything. Um, they need 60 votes to really end a, a filibuster uh, and limit debate, which may cause the Democrats to do something called uh, invoking the nuclear option, basically amends uh, Senate rules and allows passage uh, by simple majority, so basically 51 instead of a supermajority or two-thirds of 60. Um, but that's always a kind of a a slippery slope because, uh, first of all, it would set precedence when doing this with the uh, Supreme Court. It's never happened there before. Um, the Obama White House actually did it a little bit uh, back during their their time, but that was more for getting some of their uh, administration in and judges who were not in the Supreme Court. This is one of those things that both sides complain about, say it's not good, but then they do it when they need to. Uh, what's your take on this situation? Well, some form of the nuclear option uh, – being used goes back to, you know, as far back as the 1830s. So this is, as you said, nothing new. Both parties have used it. And certainly most recently, the Democrats uh, under uh, during the Obama administration with a Republican majority in the Senate, um, you know, used this option to stop filibuster as well. So, you know, if it's good for one, it's good for all. But certainly somewhere, Strom Thurmond's phone book is crying. <laughs> Oh, Strom Thurmond, uh, can you believe that he was there for so long? Uh, what's what's the Democrats' uh, end game here? Do you think? Because you know Merrick Garland, who was Obama's pick, is never going to be dominated. Are they just going to stick it to them? Because uh, for me, if you're going to really go all out with a filibuster, just go nuts, this is something you have to say because Gorsuch being put on the court is just going to reestablish the status quo. But it's the next one. I don't want to say Ginsburg is going to drop dead, but she's looking pretty feeble. And that would really shake up the court. And that's where you 
got to go crazy and, and do that kind of stuff. So you don't want to p- use all of your political capital, at least for the public, on this one when Gorsuch is probably going to be put at the court. Um, I, I, don't know what the, I don't know what they're trying to do, really. Oh, the notorious RBG. She needs to stay alive. <laughs> well, you know, I think, Jesse, that the Democrats need to be careful here, lest they become the obstructionists and, and they be accused of that same obstructionism that the Republicans were uh, when Obama nominated Merrick Garland. It, to be honest, I, I'm not quite sure what their endgame uh, goal is here. I can only hope it's just to you know, make the Republicans have to go through the process of making sure that they have chosen the best possible person for the position and making sure that we can moderate Neil Gorsuch, that he's not going to be so extreme by exposing some of his, his past decisions. And hopefully it doesn't go any further than that. Yeah, because as screwed up as it was that they wouldn't give Merrick Garland uh, you know, a hearing because there was only a year left basically in Obama's term, as screwed up as that was, you can't do it for three and a half years. You know, It's going to have to come to a vote and, and now or then, and uh, it just, it's just going to get ugly. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what goes on. I watched some of the hearing. Um, I watched some of our Congress, our Senator uh, Richard Blumenthal kind of giving it to it's. Everybody asks the same questions over and over again. And at one point, another one of my former bosses, Charles Grassley, was just like, all right, does anybody else have any questions that haven't been asked yet? Because I understand everybody wants to get, wants to get their sound bite in, but God, it's and I, it's weird because I, I don't agree with a lot of things with uh, with Gorsuch, but I feel bad for him just getting grilled. But you know that's that's what comes with the job. You know, all, everybody gets grilled like that. If you want to be on the Supreme Court, that's what happens. Well, you see though some of the funny questions that were asked. This it was like outtakes from this hearing. Uh, I think one of them that I can remember off the top of my head had to do with, have you ever worn like your underwear or, or shorts underneath the robe? What? <laughs> Who asked that one? Oh, I, I can't recall off the top of my head, but there was a series of, of questions that were asked kind of in lighthearted moments during the hearing that uh, he, he responded pretty well to. He, he took it in stride. I don't know if he's on the Senate Senate Judiciary Committee, but uh, it sounds like a Senator Pat Roberts question. I, I worked with him for a little bit in the Senate Finance Committee. He was kind of a funny guy. But, but he got in some trouble, too, with some of the mammogram stuff with the health care bill. It's better better not to get into that stuff. Um, so health care is dead, we said earlier. And, and on next, it looks like uh, we're going to go to the uh, tax reform area of the government. Um, it's going to be interesting. So I, I was reading something by Treasury Secretary Stephen uh, Mnuchin. And by the way, I have a problem with that. You know, His name is M.N. Mnuchin. That's not, what a, that's not a real name, is it? I don't know. Well, to him it is. Yeah, I guess. I have a problem with it. Sorry, sorry to anybody else listening right now named Mnuchin. It's just it's hard to pronounce. Um, they think it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen pretty soon, at least by August. Um, and oh, by the, way, the other thing with the uh, Treasury Secretary, I want to tell you this quick story. It's kind of a, a tangent, but I'm, I don't know if I've ever told you this one before, um, that back in 06, I was working for the Senate Finance Committee, and um, I would open up the office usually around 8 o'clock or so in the morning. And one day I get there, probably on a Monday, and uh, there's some old dudes, old dudes standing outside, and I'm like, oh god, what does this guy want? I'm still half asleep. I was probably at happy hour Sunday night or something like that before. Um, I opened the door. I sat down. He wanted the staff director. I'm like, okay, fine, fine. I emailed the staff director. Some old dude was there, and kind of just, you know, didn't pay attention to him, ignored him, was putzing around. And I hear the staff director come in and go, oh, Mr. Secretary. And I, I looked him up. It turns out it was Jon Snow, who was not from Game of Thrones. Jon Snow who was the previous Secretary of Treasury uh, before Hank Paulson. I was like, oops, I probably should have been a little uh, a little nicer to that guy or paid attention to him. You but, never know who you're going to meet on the street. So that's You, you really never know. As, as one of our professors used to say, any old guy walking down the street that could be uh, Alan, 
Alan uh, Greenspan, for all you know. <laughs> it's true. You just never know who you're going to run into. Especially in Washington, um, D.C. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, um, this comprehensive tax plan they're looking at, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be big. It's not going to be piecemeal here and there. Uh, tax cuts for the middle class, they say, not the 1%. We'll see about that. And they also want to lower the corporate tax rate, which I had to look up. I I wasn't sure about you know I, tax code. Oh my God! If you ever want to fall asleep, read the tax code sometimes. Um, but are you are you interested or do you know anything about uh, tax or tax reform? Well, you know I'm I'm the the least uh, of an expert in the area of tax reform. You know I, I try to pay attention to you know how it affects my own taxes, but outside of that, I couldn't really tell you. But what I what I will say is I can't wait to see what any proposed tax reform legislation looks like for the average Americans, because I have this, you know, sinking feeling or sneaking <laughs> suspicion that it's not going to look too good for us. It's just going to be what happened with health care. Yeah, we're going to help the regular guy out. Oh, no, no, it screws you, helps the millionaires and the billionaires. And whether it's whether a lowering of the corporate tax rate is good or bad, that's debatable. But I think people are just going to see that and be annoyed. Well, why are you lowering taxes on corporations? Now, their view – apparently it's around 35 percent right now. Trump wants to get down to 15 percent, which kind of seems like a pipe dream. Um, but they think that if they lower the tax rate, it will encourage companies to bring their profits uh, and business home. Because you know, right now they're, they're in other countries with, with a lower tax rate. But some actually think it might help their shareholders instead of the actual everyday people. Again, I, we're not experts. We're going to have to wait and see how this turns out. But here's the crazy part. They're going to have to save some money. If they're if they're cutting taxes, where's that money going to come from? They were planning the health care bill. That went down the toilet. So they're looking at this border tax where they're going to charge exports from other countries coming in or imports, you'd call it, if you were in America. Um, but guess what? When you charge more for goods coming into our country, what do you think that, that extra money is going to come from? The consumer. They're going to just charge more money. And what's going to happen when other countries go, oh, we're going to have our own – taxes on things coming in. United States exports things. It's, right, but it sounds good. It sounds <laughs> yeah. good to, you know, John Q public, you know, the average American out there that we can make it sound like, yeah, we're going to we're going to make up for it by charging these folks overseas. And you know, Donald Trump and his team, they speak in these broad strokes and this this whole idea that it's going to be comprehensive instead of small changes. We're not just going to fix the things that are broken. We're going to just completely overhaul. But then they can't back up with details. And as you mentioned, the the a uh, the American Healthcare Act was supposed to be good for the middle class as well, I, but obviously that didn't turn out so good for them. So this is starting to build into something of a credibility gap for Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump ha has been known to say that his Vietnam was not getting an STD in New York City back in the the crazy 1980s. But you know, it seems to me that <laughs> continually. Uh, bringing up these grandiose plans uh, of what you're going to do in government and then not being able to get them done, that's a bigger credibility gap, right? You know, that's like Johnson mm -hmm. with Vietnam. Basically, the entire administration for the last three months has consistently and constantly been biting off more than they can, they can chew. Uh, you know, make sure you, you do a little you – know, maybe you can do a little taxing here, a little taxing there, a little health care thing here, there. See what works, see what doesn't work. Don't go – you know, don't go all in, you know, go big or go home, because guess what? You go home when that happens, uh, at least when you're in the Trump campaign. It's a uh, it's 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 going to be, I think, something that just repeats itself over and over and over until somebody in that administration learns their lesson. For as much as Donald Trump is not the average man, right? A billionaire can never be considered the average man. He truly <laughs> he truly comes off as the average man's president. I, I mean, in that I mean, 
this is what I feel like if we just plucked anybody from off the street and put them in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, this is how they would respond. They would speak in these generalities like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. I'm going to make it great for everybody. Let's lower taxes and give everybody health care. But the reality does not work that way. And, and politicians who have experience in the field know that much more needs to be done and that you have to work in those smaller, finer details. I was going to say that was an insult to the average man, but no, you were right the way you, you followed through with that. Yeah, because people think, oh, you know, I, I want to lower taxes on people. Boom, done. Well, guess what? There are consequences for things like that. And and it goes back to when Trump said a month or so ago, you know, nobody knew health care was so, was so confusing or, or, or so difficult. You know, everybody knew that uh, who works in government. It's just the average person who maybe doesn't know that much about it thinks you can do something with a quick fix. And no, uh, if, if you're not aware of that, you shouldn't be president or you shouldn't run for president. It's the kid in the school election that says he's going to give like free candy to everyone or, you know, we're going to we're going to put yeah. uh, soda in the vending machines. No yeah. more. Depe- no more detentions. It's all over. Oh, well, well, you know, the good thing, though, is that while President Trump may have some issues, he's put his son-in-law in charge of some areas, so I'm sure that'll all work uh, work out. Although he was pissed off at Jared Kushner because he was off skiing with the family when health care was going down the drain. Well, you know. Yes. And sorry, buddy. Out in Aspen where the beer flows like wine. <laughs> Whenever I think of uh, Kushner, I go, you know, good news, you get to work at the White House. Bad news, your father-in-law is Donald Trump. Um, apparently, I think it was today, actually, he was announced to lead a, a new office, the Office of American Innovation, uh, which I guess it's put together to uh, use private sector principles and apply it to federal bureaucracy. And I love that it's going to be filled and staffed by former business executives draining the swamp, right? Bring more people from, from the business area in there. Um, this, to me, this has mess written all over it, and it's not going to end well. No, the idea of government being run like a business, you know, I'm not so sure about that anyway. And if that is so, then Donald Trump seems to be failing in this so far. The the few things that he's already uh, put to the test in within these first hundred days have not gone so well for him. So if this is being run like his business, this is a failure. And if this was a business, guess what? He might be the CEO, but the American people, we're the board of directors, and if we feel he's doing a bad job, we can oust him. And uh, and that's what he has to realize. It doesn't make you the overall guy. He wants us to be – this is a business. I'm in charge. I say something, you follow. And that's not how it goes. You know, when you're president, you work for us. And I know that's you know, a fun thing to say. Yeah, he, he works for us, but it's, it's true. Um, he's, 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 it's the people's office, not his office. And uh, he has to come to realize that. And 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 if Kushner, I mean, again, I don't I don't know anything about Jared Kushner other than what you read here or there. So I don't know if he's a bad guy or a good guy. Um, but he's also volunteered to talk before again, uh, not the House Intelligence Committee, but the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, as part of the Russia investigation. Because apparently during the campaign during the transition, he was the chief uh, go-between when it came to foreign governments and stuff. So he he said he'd go in there and. Uh, and talk to them, which I guess he volunteered, so that's he has nothing to hide, I suppose. I, I don't know. One would think typically when somebody volunteers information, they don't have anything to hide. You know, I feel like the real question here, though, is will Donald Trump learn that in governing? No. Well, well <laughs> I, I, yes, case closed. No, no, keep going. I'm sorry. Will he learn that 
you can't rule in government, certainly as president with our system of checks and balances, you can't govern by edict as he's done in his business career. Government isn't meant to be run as a business. No, no, no. And I, I honestly, I was joking before, but I don't know if he's going to learn his lesson. We'll, we'll see on his next couple of, uh, of ventures and, and if they go the same way as the uh, Health Care Act stuff. But um, you know, before we get to Kevin's corner, a couple of things came up uh, towards the end of today. I want to run, run by them really quickly. We didn't really discuss this beforehand. Uh, but Jeff Sessions popped into Sean Spicer's uh, presser today before it got going. And I I don't know what prompted this, but basically said that any of these cities that are considered sanctuary cities, um, if, if they stay that way, they're not going to get any DOG grants or money. So it's – I mean I understand he's telling them to follow the law, but it's it's interesting to say that he's threatening them with money as opposed to, to, to appease them. And I, just knowing by Jeff Sessions' personality and how people view him, I think people are just going to dig in a little more now when he give, give that ultimatum. Right, and those cities that are you know quantifying themselves as – sanctuary cities, you know, they don't want to have to put their residents, the people who are living on the ground in those cities that while they may not be documented immigrants, they are participating in the day-to-day -day life of that city and the vitality of that city, paying uh, into that city's economy with the jobs that they do and the things that they purchase. You know, they don't want to put these people at risk. And I just, I can only see this as being an ongoing fight. Right, right here in in our home state of Connecticut, the city of Hartford has recently been added with uh, the Department of Immigration and Customs Enforcement because some ICE officers have been portraying themselves as police officers and uh, luring uh, some immigrants into custody under the guise that they are Hartford police. So this is going to be something that goes on for a while, and you know, having a tit for tat between the federal government and these state and local governments is only going to divert from what really matters. You know, immigration is, it's a really hard thing for me because I agree with everything you just said, but then I also think, why can you not listen to some laws and then have to listen, you know, what if I just want to steal something? And if they, they arrest me, go, why? You're, you know, so it, it's not obviously that black and white. I'm, I'm for a pathway to citizenship, but, but it, it's, it's one of those things that, again, it's, it's very gray, and I can understand both sides, but it's, it's when people like um, President Trump have their executive orders that go to the extreme that just doesn't help anybody. Just, you know, everybody's kicked out. Uh, there was a famous story that was out there last week um, about a, a woman who voted for Trump, and then, then her husband got deported <laughs> because you know, he came here legally like 18 years ago or something. And, well, she um, thought he was just going to get rid of the bad hombres. That's exactly that's exactly what they think. They're like, oh, you know, I, I'm one of the good ones. It's the bad ones I'll get rid of. No, 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 no. Um, the other thing that Trump did today, President Trump, I don't want to be disrespectful. President Trump did today is he rolled back or a couple of the uh, regulations that President Trump, uh, President Obama put out there. Um, one of them, there was one of these things out there that if you um, if you violated labor laws, you were then blacklisted from being able to get government contracts. You know, I think it seems like a good idea that if you are doing things that are not good, you're not going to get rewarded for it. No, 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 no. That you know, go ahead and violate whatever you want. You're still eligible. Um, you know, Sean Spicer said it was because you know people, uh, lawyers could just sue people who didn't deserve it. Blah 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 blah. Um, the other one, um, I don't mean to put you on the spot like this, um, that really caught my eye is they rolled back a couple of the regulations that had to do with the um, Every Student Succeeds Act. Do you know anything about that as a teacher? Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, the ESSA law. It's the new kind of the, the overhaul of the No Child Left Behind Act that was passed under the Bush administration. 
I guess he's repealing some of that. So if we look into that, and maybe he's going to repeal more regulations, he says, so maybe we can talk more about that um, on another show. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, I can't say I'm looking forward to it. I can't say I've been missing it, Bob. Uh, so, sorry. Uh, so I guess that brings us to the last feature of every episode, Kevin's Corner. Lay it on me. Well, Jesse, we talked tonight about some of the mistruths or, or false statements, falsehoods, propagated by President Donald Trump. And the post-truth era that is upon us is frightening. The number of people that we referenced earlier that believe and support misleading or untrue statements is an indictment on critical thinking in America. The single most important job of our public schools is to teach critical thinking skills. The ability to decipher news and information, to tell fact from fiction, is critical to the sustainability of our democratic experiment that we call the United States of America. The purpose of public education is to preserve democracy and it is under constant attack. We must remember the words of Benjamin Franklin, who after completing his work on the Constitution in 1787, when asked what the members had just given America, he said, a republic, if you can keep it. These are the things we should remember. As always, I feel nice, warm, and fuzzy inside when you're done talking. Well, I aim, I aim to please. <laughs> well, remember, everybody, to check us out. We're on iTunes, where we've gotten a good amount of uh, reviews in the last week or two. So thank you, everybody, for leaving reviews. I think we're up to seven right now. Much appreciated. But the more than the more the merrier, because we want to get out there on the what's hot on iTunes list. Uh, we're also on all the Android uh, platforms. We're on YouTube, and uh, you can go to Twitter and get in contact with us at grab by the pod uh, we're on facebook too and then you can send us emails at gmail at grab them by the pod at gmail.com so we're all over the place and uh, looking forward to hearing more from our fans and let us know what you like we've we've been getting a flurry of activity on twitter in the last week a lot of people were quoting us and reaching out to us sending us pictures of naked people it's great i don't know <laughs> maybe not that <laughs> so much, but one of our followers sent us a picture of a shirtless alex jones which is interesting but hey you know what we're happy you're listening so that's cool absolutely give us and, something uh, to talk about <laughs> yeah. And uh, other than that, I look forward to talking to you next time on the show. Later. Later.